Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. We're in our Luke series, The King is Here. Amen? The King is here, right? The Lord is here. And tonight, I've titled um, the teaching, At Your Word, I Will. So, before we jump in, I'm going to pray. God, thank you, um, Lord, for who you are. Thank you that we get to look at your face, Jesus, and we feel courageous because you are there in every circumstance. God, tonight, I just ask that you break off any fear, any lack, Lord, that's holding us back from anything that you're inviting us into. God, I thank you for the saints in this room. God, people who have given their yes to you and have seen breakthrough in areas. God, we just invite you to do more. We come alongside you tonight. We say, do whatever you want, Holy Spirit. We love you, Lord. You always have more than what we could ask or imagine in store for us. So we just give ourselves to you tonight. God, open up our hearts and our minds to your word. Jesus, prune what you want to prune, Lord. Come and meet us as we teach tonight. Amen. All right, open up to Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11. So tonight, um, we're going to look at how obedience breaks us open and leads us into further communion with God, with more room for his spirit to move. And as you're opening up, uh, I have a story. So since December, um, I've been playing the scene in our text in my mind over and over again. It's a very fun um, story, and I am one for stories. Um, and I've also been in Barcelona for... I basically skipped the winter of Oregon, which <laughs> I feel like overly privileged of that. So um, yeah, I've got a lot of vitamin D in my system. It's really great. But uh, yeah, so I've been in Barcelona and um, something in the city that is very famous and very awesome is Sagrada Familia. Has anybody heard of the Sagrada Familia? Wow, only a few. Well, we're going to show you what it is. It's a basilica. It's a Catholic um, basilica that's been under construction. And me and a few friends from Newburgh actually got to go to it. There's four people from Newburgh with me in Barcelona. Isn't that crazy? That's so wild. And like pretty unplanned. The Lord is really creative. Um, the people that you hang out with tonight, seriously take Alex up on that Newburgh after dinner card and go meet with people. You guys are the church. Amen. We're all the church, but like get out of the building and go and do work together. Um, all right, Luke 5. Um, oh, wait, no, story. This is Sagrada Familia. Nice, Hannah. I don't know how long that's been up there. Um, wow, this is it. I totally took this picture. No, I didn't. I didn't. I absolutely lied. Yeah, there has to be like a certain like quality of photo for slides, but I did take this picture. One of the people I took was Lizette, and she breakdanced in front. I'm also, like I said, I'm a coach, so obviously I'm coaching her how to breakdance. I don't actually know what was happening, but yeah, that's Lizette. Good job. All right. 
So those are my qualities of photos. So anyway, we attended mass, all right? So you can pay to go into the Sagrada Familia or you can go to mass on Sunday, which is international. So obviously it was in Spanish, Catalan, Polish, and I think Latin at some point, and I had no idea what was going on. Um, but all of a sudden there was English and it said one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. I honestly was stunned and confused because if you look down at what we're reading tonight, that's what we're reading tonight. And that's something that I had given in December. Like Alex told me about this passage in December. So I had been praying about it. And then all of a sudden in this crazy basilica across the world, the Lord, the only thing that I could understand was what he had been teaching me for weeks. So needless to say, I left mass laughing. And God is intentional. He is actively pursuing us. He's inviting us into a story of redemption of all things. He cares about the details of your life. He knows every hair on your head. He knows how the mountains were formed and he knows how to move them. And tonight he's moving us into new collaboration with him with a yes. So let's read this passage. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. The Lord already speaking to you about what he wants to say tonight? It's to me. All right, three things that I want to point out for us tonight, um, and they are alliterated, alliteration, whatever. All of them start with P. <laughs> perspective, oh, sorry. When we say yes to the Lord, our perspective is shifted, our purpose unfolds, and our participation is invited. All right, so first, perspective. If you notice in the story, um, Jesus taught. There was a whole teaching, and Luke actually doesn't explain what Jesus was teaching. Jesus is more than just a teacher. Um, Luke also happens to be the author of the book of Acts, which is personally one of my favorites, because it's all about the actions of God's people, when they get into the world and they go take him at his word and follow. So 
Luke is a big action guy, and I'm a big action gal, so here for that. Um, what Simon says back to Jesus is significant. First, Master, we've worked hard all night, but at your word, I will let down the nets. Okay, pause. I had to also research what it meant to clean nets, because I think when I first read this, I was like, huh, maybe they're like scrubbing it with like soap. Like the nets are like brown, and they want them to be white, like, like Nikes or something. But no. When there's an empty net, it gathers sticks, it gathers um, leaves, anything that's not a fish. So pretty disappointing. So they were already cleaning their nets. And so putting them back into the water would have essentially been just like double the work after a long night, okay? And then they catch a bunch of fish, and what's his next response? Simon says, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. I wonder what Simon's perspective was on Christ before and after this event. Before, his disposition kind of seems nonchalant, right? Master, like, because you say so, I'll put this over. Like, because you say so, sure. But um, there's a, a shift of reverence after he sees a miracle. There's a shift of reverence when he sees, oh, you're not just a teacher, you're the Lord. Like, you're the Messiah. And he doesn't say that yet, but I think something's happening in him where he's recognizing, whoa, Um, And I think I can understand why Simon Peter's first response was fear, because the stories he probably grew up on, when people were in the presence of God, they actually died. That's in the Old Testament. If people were not made clean enough, if they were not holy, when they entered the presence of God, they died. So there's all these rituals, there's all of this um, um, rule, there's all these rules where people have to follow before they can meet with God. But... How does Jesus respond to Simon? Don't be afraid. Simon has already proclaimed that at your word, I will. His first yes was putting an empty net back in the water. His next yes is agreeing with Jesus and not being afraid. Do you notice how Jesus, Jesus doesn't like pray for his fear? He doesn't um, do anything like specific. He says, don't be afraid. Choose to disagree with your fear because you're actually in the presence of love. Jesus has reclaimed the power that fear once held because he overcame fear through his sacrifice in perfect love on the cross. He took everything that we had to be afraid of, punishment, death, rejection, Christ on the cross, when we say yes to him, we actually get to receive his holiness. We get to receive his love. So 1 John 4, 17 through 18 says this, in this way, love has been perfected among us so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. For in this world, we are just like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. So Simon's response out of fear, it does make sense, but little does he know he's standing in the presence of love himself. He's standing in the presence of the perfect love who casts out all fear, Jesus Christ. I love what Laura said at the opening of just looking at Jesus's face, just like starting with the Lord and then things fall away that don't belong. It's like, we get to, it's like we got to see last week, everybody gets to play when we're looking at the Lord. All right, next, perspective on the work to be done. In this story, Jesus redefines the workers and their role. Jesus was a carpenter or a stonemason. How many of you have heard that before that? Did you know? 
Yeah, raise your hand. I genuinely do want to know. All right, sweet. He, carpenter slash stonemason. Basically, before his ministry, he spent a lot of time making things, right? And so I wonder, as the Son of God built and created out of stone and wood, was he dreaming of rebuilding his kingdom again in us? Was he dreaming about building the family of God? Shaping us out of love into his likeness again. The glorious ones, full of humility and expectation that God is good and he's come back, wooing us with a love that evokes courage. Christ doesn't discredit the long night of work before the miracle. He knows what it feels like to work. He knows what it feels like to toil. He entered into every part of the human experience, and he also redeems every part of the human experience when we trust in him and receive his spirit. He doesn't discredit the long night of work. He simply says, try again. Put it in now. And what changes? Just that he asked them to do it. Just that he said, try again, and they listened. And I wonder, would these men have had the same degree of astonishment if it was early in the morning when this happened? If they didn't actually know the struggle of the long night beforehand? It says in the text that part of what woos them over is astonishment. Like it uses that in, in my translation. I should have checked the Hebrew. I didn't. Um, but evoking awe and wonder at what God has done, at what, what he is doing, about who he is. This doesn't mean that we always have to go through a long night of disappointment and not catching what you're fishing for. But what I'm trying to point us to is that the only thing that changed is that Christ himself asked them to do it again. So may we be people full of humility, waiting on the Lord, waiting for him to say, yes, God, at your word, I will. Consider that in Genesis 3, work also got distorted in the fall. Um, chapter 3, 17 through 19 says this, cursed is the ground because of you. This is after, pause, sorry, not scripture. Um, this is after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, like the grand act of disobedience that brought sin into the world of not taking him at his word and choosing instead to provide for themselves out of a fear of lack, out of something that drove them away from God. So it says this, curses the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce uh, thorns and thistles. I don't know if that's okay. Oh, there we go. I'm gonna read it from here. For you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you will return. Do you think Adam and Eve ate that fruit because they were afraid they wouldn't have enough? That God was holding something good back from them, even though he said, that he provided everything they needed to live and collaborate with him in the kingdom. Adam, because of disobedience, began to look to the ground to provide for him instead of looking to the Lord. And the result was painful toil because we were created to trust God and co-labor with him. We were made to receive from him first and then create out of that, creating out of delight, not out of fear, not out of lack, creating out of because you say so, Lord, I will. Romans 5.19 says this, for if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness 
reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It goes on, consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. So we have actually been grafted in to Christ's obedience when we say yes to him. That's the first yes that is the, the beginning of many yeses to come. And it's the most powerful one. When you're grafted into Christ's obedience, you receive the ability to live with a continual yes to him through his spirit. Yes to living, yes to receiving, yes to choosing the better portion, which is God himself. So separated from the unconditional and perfect love of God, humans feel the need to work out a fear of not having enough or fear of people rejecting them. I'll say that again, apart from God's love, people work out of fear of not having enough or not being enough. Wanting to prove yourself means needing validation of your work and your worth. That's not freedom. That's not how we're supposed to live. That's not how we're supposed to work. And Christ is the answer to that. You don't have to prove yourself anymore, but you get to create and accomplish with Jesus. The glory that you're hungry to see is found in his face. It's found in relationship with the Father and creating with him. Something we like to say around here at Saints Hill is in the kingdom, you no longer work for an identity, you work from an identity. You don't work for it, you work from it. And as we are reincorporated, brought back into the family of God through Jesus with a yes to him, work becomes purposeful and enjoyable, no matter what it is. Creative, innovative, delightful work comes out of the kids delighting in their father who is the creator. Moving on to purpose. Um, the resurrection of Jesus has changed everything, um, every part of life, including work. Um, and tonight, I believe that the Lord is going to breathe on callings and kickstart purposes that he's actually given people or he wants to give you a purpose tonight out of his love. Yeah, let's go. Wow, thank you. That was great. I love woo people. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the sport person in me. Okay, in Acts 5, a group of the apostles actually got stopped by the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish authority. Okay, before we read this scripture, um, it's interesting to me to see the transformation of all of the disciples. It's really sweet to go through the scripture and see that as they understand who Jesus is more and more, that they are transformed. And so we're about to read something that um, Peter says. That's just really great. Okay, so Acts 5, verse 29 says, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestor raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel into repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of, this thing, of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So the next part of the scripture, um, there's a man, Gamaliel, I actually don't know how to say his name, I needed to ask somebody that before, um, and he is part of the Sanhedrin, and he says, no, we don't need to kill these men, because if what they're trying to do is not of God, it's going to fail. But he says, um, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. 
you will only find yourself fighting against God. Do you see the correlation between this story in Acts and the story we just read out of Luke? When Jesus says something, when God says something, all of what you need is in that spoken word. Everything to fulfill the promise, he's already saying, go for it, I'm with you, right? And so if we hear from the Lord in something, we better go. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. What is God's purpose and activity? Where do you see him working in your life? Where do you see him leading you into something? Because if he started it in you, he's not gonna let it, he's not gonna let it not happen. He's not gonna let it go. If he's given you a promise, it's gonna happen not because of your strength, but because of his word, because he's spoken that over you. If he says you're righteous because of his son, you are. That's your identity. Simple as that. As you read the scriptures, even in my life, like the Lord has, has just combed through areas in the word that I skipped over for so long, where I would just read and kind of just go over my head. And as I, as I just encounter his love over and over again, all of a sudden, scripture that kind of felt like, oh, that's not for me. I was like, whoa, that's my identity. I have an inheritance. I have a family. I'm not gonna be forgotten. He never leaves me. Loneliness? No, not in the name of Jesus. Fear? No. So the carpenter is building his church and his church is you. You sitting here tonight, you listening to this, we are the church and he's building us. Corinthians says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So may we be built up by his love before any kind of knowledge where we're trying to fish all night and picking up nothing. Start with his love first. We get built up as we get loved by God. It's so funny to me, I, um, I wrestle with having to do a lot of activity, right? I'm a very active person. And so when I mistakenly try to do things before meeting with the Lord, it seems like they're harder. Can anybody relate with that? It's like, oh man, there's so much to do. There's so many people to tell the gospel to. There's so many people to speak identity over, but have you met with him and received yours before you're trying to go and do? He has put glory in you that unfolds with every act of obedience toward him. Jesus is calling us into something extraordinary, and all that is required is trusting him with a yes. Because you say so, I will. Because you say so. So, Saint Hill, be dependent on his voice. Watch obedience lead you to new depths with the Lord. Another thing I see in the story that was convicting is a disruption from Jesus can be an invitation to the impossible. Jesus just steps into a boat to go and teach. Honestly, if I was Simon, I would be so irritated. I'd be like, you had to choose my boat. There's even two boats. Like he could have chosen the other boat, but he chose Simon's. And I think sometimes we're a little overly um, consumed with efficiency. We love clean, smooth days where everything goes as it should. We love gatherings that end at 7 p.m. Not here. Just kidding. What, was that a dig? No, it was not, no. Um, 
We love efficiency. Simon had a long day. He probably just wanted to finish cleaning his net and go home and have a good meal. But no, Jesus stepped into his boat, told him to dirty his net again, and doesn't tell him the details of why. Do you see that? I actually, last week during a, you know, the really fun Sunday where we just worshiped and prayed for each other, that was awesome, wasn't that great? Yeah, wow, so many testimonies. That is the church being the church. And um, yeah, just so so filled up even by people praying for me and, and somebody, uh, my friend Katie actually, prayed. Um, <laughs> she was praying over me in, um, something that the Lord has recently called me to that involves a lot of like, whoa, like Jesus needs to tell me like, don't be afraid. And um, she said, I'm not gonna pray for clarity over you, I'm gonna pray for trust. Because sometimes clarity isn't what we need. We think we do, we think we need the outline of, okay, once I put the net over, what's gonna happen? (laughs) Like, what are you gonna do? No, he just says, put your net over. And he says, because you say so, Lord, I will. So don't act out of obedience because you can predict the outcome. Don't act out of obedience because the Lord is telling you something, but you're not sure how it's gonna go. No, he's always good. He doesn't hold back anything from you. So if he's telling you to do something, whether it's in the scriptures or from somebody who's praying for you, follow his lead, follow the spirit, even if you don't have the details. Be sensitive to him, not your own agenda. We're not going anywhere to check off a box. We're going out of and for relationship. Trust, because he isn't just a faraway teacher. He is the Messiah, demonstrating to us how to fish for men. He both teaches and he shows us at the same time, and he's doing it still. He's doing it tonight. All right, next, I love the participation of James and John in this story. They were working alongside Simon as partners. Basically, they were coworkers. Do you catch that? They were just coworkers of Simon. Let's pray about that. Um, and they said, yes, they joined in the work too. They even had to send for a second boat. So they were just along for the ride, and all of a sudden, this miraculous thing happens. And they're like, what is going on? And after the nets start breaking and the boat is sinking, it says that they were astonished and they came with Simon to follow Jesus. They were not gonna miss this. How beautiful is that? That just God doing an astonishing work in your life is gonna invite others in. The yes to what God is asking you to do, no matter how small or how big, invites others to say yes to him too. If you have a heart for people to know the Lord, Just say yes to God and what he's asking you to do next. I think there can be so much pressure of, I have so many people in my life that I I want them to know the Lord. I want them to know Jesus. Like that burns on my heart for my family, for my friends, for people across the globe. And um, something that the Lord's recently like released in me even is if I am just following him, He's gonna take the lead and he loves those people more than I do. And so he's drawing them in as I follow him, as I obey him. If, if he says, yeah, share the gospel right now, I'm gonna do it. If he says, sit back, come and meet with me, I'm gonna do it. And so may we be a people with that degree of obedience because your yes makes a way for other people to say yes. That's why we share testimonies, right? You hear of other people's yes and you get stirred up. So the pressure is off 
to make anything happen out of your own strength. People will be drawn in as you follow Jesus. With your active obedience, others are invited into obedience. And this isn't a passive sit back. Following Jesus is not passive. There's an entire book that's called Acts. You're gonna be doing a lot of work in a good way, the fun work, the redeemed work. Um, but hear me, we don't, we don't say yes so that others will join in, right? Do you get the difference there? I had to check my heart in that in a lot of ways. We don't say yes so that other people will follow. We say yes because God has asked you. That's it. People don't need to be told. They need to be shown. They need models. And luckily, as Jake said a couple weeks ago, Christ is the perfect one. Actually, I was gone um, for that teaching, and so I was catching up. And a lot of what the Lord was even through this story teaching me, Jake like stole a bunch of my content. I was like, man, he already said it. Christ is the perfect model. So when God invites us to collaborate with him in the kingdom, the power of your yes isn't based on you. It's about Christ. He's the perfect model. Lord, tonight, would you just release um, any pressure to be a perfect model outside of you? Lord, um, in the room, God, I just ask for new courage that comes out of um, just your perfectness, Jesus that we don't have to dress up your gospel in order for people to come. Father, you are the most beautiful, inviting God. So we just give up our need to, to feel or be perfect in order to actually tell other people, God, we just release that right now, Holy Spirit. Thank you for freedom tonight, Jesus. Thank you, God. So follow his voice, follow his voice. Go and fish for men and tell them about the kingdom, tell them about the gospel, but do it connected with God's voice, not out of a fear of lack, not out of a way God hasn't asked us to work, because we're like seeds. Everything needed to walk out God's call on your life is in us and gets unlocked with his invitation, with his spirit. When we say yes to the Lord, he's put things in you that the world needs. There is a unique, specific thing in you that as you, you say yes to Jesus, comes out. You participate in a body. There's a lot of different parts and we need everybody. David says this, he actually sings this, um, in Psalm 139, 13 through 14. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I think a lot of people have heard this verse probably many times, um, but those two words, fearfully and wonderfully made, you were made in such a way to evoke awe and wonder as you go. Just like the miraculous catch of fish, that shouldn't be possible. That, is, that was outside of like what people viewed as possible right? Net goes in, comes out, fish are bursting, boats sink. After a long night, that was a miracle. And God wants to do a similar thing in you as you say yes to him. Any areas that you think he can't actually transform and change, just got to say yes, because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. You following Jesus will invoke 
fear and wonder in a good way because his works are wonderful. There will be astonishment that points people to Christ as he does a work in you through his spirit. Um, Even last week, and we're gonna get to hear a testimony um, in a second. Actually, yeah. One more scripture and then we're gonna do a fun thing. Okay, Romans 8, 27 through 28. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And as you become like the perfect model, as you follow Jesus and the things inside of you are brought out because he loves us and he's showing us how to be human again, as you become like Christ, receiving from the Father, spending time in his presence, you are collaborating in the redemption of all things. Christ is the head and he knows where he's taking us. So when you pray for healing, expect that he's gonna do something that brings redemption, that he's doing something that brings the kingdom. When you get a word for a person, go and tell them. I can't tell you how many times that I have just like a a little uh, like prompting. I'm like, I don't know if that's actually the Lord. And so I sit back. Um, My roommate, Jenna, uh, we love Lent. We're practicing like, um, yeah, just like Lent in our household. And she's not giving something up every day. She's actually asking God to tell her what to do for that day. Like, that's her practice. She's inviting the Lord to speak and then daily live out that obedience. Small yeses become big yeses. And so, may I challenge you tonight, ask God what he has for you to say yes to tonight. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you or if you wanna stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.